Hey, resetters, have I got a treat for you. I am bringing you an old episode I did with Dr. Zach Bush, and it is a gem. So there's a couple reasons I'm bringing this old episode to you. First, it's an amazing episode, and Zach is such a heart-based, incredible man. And he has a passion for helping us all understand the impact that something as simple as the soils that our food is grown in, how it's impacting our physical and mental health. I had asked him specifically to come and talk about gut-brain access. And in that, you will see that he explains how foods impact our mental health, but more importantly, how the soils our foods are grown in impact our mental health and what you can do about it. It's such a beautiful discussion. So I wanted to make sure that you had that and stay through to the end because we are both crying at the end. Zach is just such a heart-based man and he has such a passion for helping the world understand the impact of our soils. But the second reason I wanted to bring this to you is something really exciting. I'm actually knee deep in writing my next book and it's all about the mental health of women after 40 and what neurochemically happens to us. And you better believe that soils and microbes and all of that will be in there. And so I'm down a rabbit hole of writing right now. And we are also putting, reissuing the Menopause Reset is coming out at the end of June. So if you haven't pre-ordered that, please pre-order that because those are the five lifestyle changes you need to make if you're a woman over 40 to navigate your hormones. So... I'm deep in work and creation, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss a week, and, and I wanted to give you an episode that was one of the deepest ones and touched my heart in such a profound way. So I hope you enjoy it as well. Hey, Dr. Mindy here. This podcast is all about empowering you to believe in yourself again. And I want you believing in your body. I want you believing in your mind. I want you believing in your spirit. If you have a passion for learning, if you're looking to be in control of your health and take your power back, this is the podcast for you. Enjoy. Hey, Resetters. As we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. So let me just start off by saying welcome. So grateful to be here. 
So grateful to be with you all. It's always exciting to connect with the new community. So thanks for creating that opportunity. Let's start with this. A big reason why I wanted to bring you on to Resetter TV and I wanted to expose my community to your knowledge is that we ha- are living in a time where we have so many mood disorders. We have depression and anxiety and um, you know, I've got a lot of women going through menopause and we've got teenage anxiety. And there is such a strong microbiome connection that I really would love for you just to speak on that and help us understand how the microbiome really ties into our thinking and our moods. Fantastic. Um, before we dive into the kind of the molecular uh, mechanisms by which this is uh, kind of interrelated and, and the intricate co-creative environment of the microbiome in your brain, I want to prove that this is true at, at the population scale because it, it can sometimes get down into the weeds and you may as, as an audience member feel like that's some interesting theoretical data or that's some interesting scientific data in a microscope, but how does that really apply to me or my family? And what we can do is back up to a national kind of viewpoint at the United States and say, uh, dial back to the year 1900, 1910 kind of time frame. Freud and his colleagues at that time out of Europe and the U.S. collaborated on really what was the forefront of evidence-based medicine before we even had that terminology. They did some of the first really aggressive, fantastically done statistical analysis on population health. And so they did it on mood disorders, looking at major depression, anxiety disorder, psychoses. Uh, we didn't use the word schizophrenia at the time, but they had uh, different you know uh, terminology for it. But these conditions got tracked very carefully in the population. And in that uh, beginning of the last century, 100 years ago, we saw a prevalence of major depression and, uh, and anxiety disorders at about one in 100 individuals. Hmm. Fast forward to today, and we've hit one in two individuals with major depression uh, incidents of over their lifetime, and then a one, one in three for anxiety disorders. So extreme acceleration over the last century. And so if we just can now say for sure the population has had an explosion of mood disorder, when did that really start to accelerate? And it looks like it really started in the late 1960s um, and re- revved up through uh, you know slow in- integral increases in the following decades. And then in the 1990s, things started to go vertical. And so that we call this a parabolic curve um, or, or uh, asymptote where you start to approach a kind of uh, vertical uh, pre- incidence of a disease process. And that's where we go into a, a true epidemic. And so you can have a, a rise in, in incidence, but when you go into that vertical rise, that's when we can identify an epidemic. And over that same period of time, 1990s to today, that short 25-year period, we can say that with confidence, we've got uh, cancer, heart disease, autoimmune disease, chronic fatigue syndromes, chronic pain syndromes, mood disorders, all the way down through childhood brain development and geriatric degenerative neural conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's in the children, it's autism and attention deficit disorders have all exploded at the same rate. Very near the same rate. They've all gone uh, epidemic into those vertical curves. And so that's fascinating and, and really points to an important truth, which is there was one event that happened in the 1990s that predisposed the entire population in all of our genetic variability, all of our genetic, you know, variants and vulnerabilities, we all got sick in the same 20-year period. And amazingly, this is hitting the younger generations the fastest. So the children who should be the most resilient are seeing the highest disease rates we've ever seen. We're currently tracking somewhere around 46% of children in the United States and other Western countries with a, a chronic disorder or disease by the time they're 18. 46%, 46%, one in two children. And that's in contrast to if you looked at the entire population in the 1960s and those Western developed worlds, we had a chronic disease a burden of about 4%. So we've gone from 4% of the entire population down to 46% of our children with a chronic disorder or disease. That astounding statistic is really underlying and really pointing to the truth that you've pointed to, which is there has to be one really important thing at the foundation of all of this mood disorder that you're asking about. And so we're going to now zero in on a couple topics within mood disorder, which might be anxiety and depression in, in children and young teens, as well as the high prevalence of these disorders in the 
premenopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal phases of life. And so just as we've done with cancer, heart disease, and autoimmune disease, I can show you that there's a, a marriage of the pathophysiology of these mood disorders in children versus adults at the very different phases of their endocrine function, their systems of biology, and the rest. And so public uh, data, the, the public health record really proves that we did something in the 1990s to undermine health, period. And in that, those categories, we had these mood disorders. Yeah, which as glim as that sounds, it also where my brain goes is, okay, so if we created this, we can uncreate this, we can change this. And maybe it's like just changing a few things that will change so many conditions. Precisely. We've got this nutrition movement afoot right now called the paleo diet and all this. And they're saying, well, if we all ate as cavemen, we would probably be healthier. And the reality is if we just all ate as we did in 1965, we'd all be healthy. Right. Uh, so we don't have to go back to some distant past to remember when people could become healthy on the foods that they ate. Um, even you know, when I was in, in undergrad, you know, late 80s uh, and early 90s, uh, we feared the, the approach of, of the, the Corn Belt football players. The, the Nebraska football players coming to Colorado uh, would whoop us good so often we kind of regard these farm boys as like the some other species, like the, the optimal health. And tragically, if you go onto these farms today, they are some of the sickest populations you can find are farm children. Mm. So they are really at the epicenter of what happened in the 1980s and 90s, which is we chemicalized, we created a chemical industry that we now call farming. And so we took farming out of thousands and thousands of years of practices that were in line with natural cycles of earth, regeneration, the natural cycles of soil, water, and air. And we removed those qualities or we gave up on those qualities and we turned it into a, a warfare mentality where we started applying literal chemical warfare agents, used to use a compound called Agent Orange to destroy the jungles of Vietnam and Cambodia in, in the late 50s and throughout the whole 60s and early 70s. And so we decimated those jungles into moonscapes with the the, the chemicals of uh, the organophosphate family uh, with Agent Orange. That same company, Monsanto, would then exit the, the war strategy and move towards uh, the farming industry in the 1970s as the war wrapped up. And they created another organo organophosphate, just like Agent Orange, uh, that would become known as uh, Roundup or, or the active ingredient glyphosate. Mm -hmm. And as we watch the march of that chemical industry, we see the undermining of farm health ultimately food health, and ultimately population health. And so uh, my laboratory here in Virginia, I uh, left the academic uh, environment in 2010, uh, University of Virginia, and before that, University of Colorado, and started my own uh, basic science laboratories in biotech, uh, working in soil and microbial intelligence. And out of that experience, we've come on to be able to show unexpectedly that Roundup is really the epicenter of the chronic disease epidemics that we see today. And so that Roundup molecule turns out to not be uh, ever patented as a weed killer by Monsanto or any of the other companies. Instead, it's been patented as an antibiotic. And in its antimicrobial effect, it's also been uh, patented as an antiparasite, antifungal, and the like. It kills the microbiome at multiple levels. Interestingly, in their own patents, uh, Monsanto has revealed how this chemical works. And the chemical works by disrupting an enzyme pathway in bacteria, fungi, and plants that create the essential amino acids. The essential amino acids are the necessary building blocks for all protein. All proteins are the building blocks and the workhorses like enzymes of cellular structures throughout the entire you know, multicellular world. And so whether you're an earthworm or a human, you rely on a very uh, small subset of these amino acids. Nine of the, the total category of amino acids are what we call the essential amino acids because we as multicellular organisms like worms and, and humans can't make these amino acids. The majority we can't, but the nine essentials, we are much like the vowels. These are the, the letters within the alphabet that if deleted, start to affect every single word or every single protein that would come out of the, the construction of those amino acids into their various sequences. And so in the 1980s and 90s, as we started to, to infiltrate our food system with this chemical, we started to delete the capacity of the soil microbes and the plants that would grow in them to build the, the, 
the storage or database of essential amino acids. And so the whole planet has begun to misspell proteins. And when we misspell proteins, we diminish function. Whether you're a bacteria or a plant, we can kill you very quickly because these are integral uh, you know, faculties within you. And so we act as a potent antibiotic, broad spectrum, more broad spectrum than any of the antibiotics we would give a human typically. And so the most potent antibiotic on the earth right now is, is, is this Roundup chemical. And unfortunately, it's integrated into the food and water systems now. We are currently dumping about 5 billion pounds of this chemical into the world's uh, soils. And unfortunately, it's water soluble, which means it gets into the runoff. It gets into the river systems and the oceans where it evaporates and ends up in our air and in our rain. 75% of the air we breathe in the United States can be measured positive for glyphosate, 75% of the rainfall glyphosate. And so we are breathing it, we're eating it, we're drinking it. It's raining on us. It's raining on our crops. So I really encourage everybody to go towards a organic and ultimately as we get the labeling right in our country, regenerative organic foods for the purpose, not just because it's better for your health, because it will change the industry that's dumping the chemicals into the system with the obvious reality that if you're eating organic, you're still eating Roundup. You're still breathing Roundup. It's still raining. Yeah, that's my question. So eating organic isn't the total solution if it's ubiquitous in our environment. It doesn't fix your your glyphosate toxicity problem. It reduces the level of glyphosate remarkably, but it doesn't okay. at all get, it, get you to zero. For example, we just finished a double-blind placebo-controlled uh, study for Restore, our dietary supplement line. And in that study, we were tracking Roundup levels in, in the urine of the patients. And it's interesting that here's you know a group of, of consumers that are actually already on the healthiest end of the spectrum of consumers. They're already aware of this organic stuff. They're a lot of my followers and stuff like that. And so you 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 distill down the healthiest population and still we could not find a single person that didn't have Roundup in their urine. Yeah, that's crazy. So all eating, drinking, and peeing out the Roundup uh, from our environment, which means it's touching every cell membrane throughout your body. So let's, so I'm putting this down to like the concept of I'm sitting there with either a teen that has anxiety or I've got some extreme mood disorders. What I heard and what you just said is hands down, the first thing you need to do is avoid your glyphosate exposure as much as you can, which would be going organic. Second step would be taking a supplement like Restore, which I I I, th- I told you before. Like I think I feel like I should walk around with a Restore bottle, and like I'm like your biggest poster child because it's miraculous. So, can you talk about like what that second step would be and how it would impact mood disorders? Yeah, maybe before I get to the solution, I need to finish painting the the relationship of that microbiome to your brain. Yeah, and right. So- um, so the microbiome that we're destroying through our farming industry and frankly, also remember your consumer industry. And so uh, up until 1992, the main contributor to your water system of this chemical was was homeowners that were spraying Roundup onto their driveways to kill the six or seven dandelions. And homeowners are not at all concerned about spraying you know, $20 of a weed killer onto a small driveway, whereas farmers have to be very judicious with this because it's their one of their main costs or inputs. And so they're going to spray far less concentration than the homeowner does. So I'm pretty convinced that the homeowners started poisoning each other uh, by the late 80s because we were spraying it into our driveways and sidewalks, roadway systems, our parks and rec systems, our soccer fields. All of our children have been on school fields and soccer fields for 25 years now that have been being sprayed with this chemical. And uh, and and so now we say, well, why do children have 46% chronic disease? Well, they're literally r- running around, eating it, rolling in it. Uh, wrestling and, you know, breathing it uh, when they play soccer or they play rugby or they play football or they go walk the dog in the park or they run around on the playground, they're absorbing it through their skin. They've got, you know, breathing. It's like literally steeping our children in this chemical. And so why does that matter to the brain? This exquisite research has been coming out of uh, universities like UCLA, UCSF. And what they're showing is that the human brain extends down through peripheral nerves into your gut. And for a long time, we've we've uh, now for the last ten or fifteen years, we've developed this whole science around what we now call the gut-brain axis, and we're now recognizing that any stress that happens to the gut immediately translates into stress in the brain, and vice versa. When the brain's stressed out, it screws up gut function, and so we've we've demonstrated this two-way communication between the gut and the brain. So we call that the gut-brain axis. 
we had a belief that things outside of the world, like the bacteria and the fungi that thrive in our guts and in our skin and in every orifice of our body was somehow, you know, passing information through into the system that would eventually get to your brain. But what UCLA and USSF have recently done is start to show this exquisite direct connection between the microbiome that is in and around your body and your brain. There's a series of cells that are called the enteric endocrine cells. These represent 10 to 15% of all of the cells that make up your gut lining. Remember, your gut's not your stomach. Your gut starts at your sinuses, includes the entire upper GI tract. I would include the respiratory tract there too, but that's probably controversial. But at least the upper GI system, the stomach, the small intestine in its huge entirety, and the massive colon. And so from nose to rectum, you are this one kind of digestion track, if you will, where you are microbially dominant. You, you are probably 100 to 1 represented, if not 10,000 to 1 represented in the microbiome to the human cell environment. So you have this giant tube system. And the tube is protected from your body by a single cell layer. And that single cell layer is half the width of a human hair. And so picture a layer of cellophane that's half the thickness of a human hair, and that covers two tennis courts in surface area. That's your, that's your gastrointestinal membrane or barrier system. Now you put on top of that all your food and the chemicals you ingest and everything else, and you have to absorb what you would like to absorb and keep out what you would like to keep out. So that barrier system is an intelligent membrane that will try to be that selective uh, barrier to keep the good stuff in or bring the good stuff in and keep the bad stuff out. About 10 to 15% of those cells are not just barriers, they're actually the, the manufacturer for your neurotransmitters. And so these are the enteric endocrine cells. And so 10 to 15% of that giant cellophane layer produce 90% of the serotonin that gets produced in your body and over 50% of the dopamine produced in your body. At that point, you can think, well, at least the brain makes 50% of its dopamine. And of course, we're wrong again. 40% of your body's dopamine gets made by your kidney tubules. And so between your kidneys and your gut, you make 90% of your dopamine. Your gut alone makes 90% of your serotonin. So you start to realize these two major transmitters that have been blamed for your anxiety and depression actually are not at all related to your brain's disease or disorder process. If you have depression or anxiety, you have a deficiency of workhorses in the gut. Well, how did that happen? Here's where the, the data out of these universities gets kind of trippy, is in recent three-dimensional imaging at the molecular level, we've been able to show that the human neurons are extending past that cellophane layer and actually listening directly to the bacteria and fungi in your gut. Wow. It bypasses your barrier system so that your brain can talk directly to bacteria. Simultaneous to that anatomical discovery, it was being discovered since 2014 that if you remove certain bacteria from the gut, those enteric endocrine cells can no longer make serotonin and dopamine. And so you're, you cannot produce the neurotransmitters and your brain cannot listen directly to the full gamut or the full ecology of a healthy ecosystem. When you take an antibiotic, you decimate that microbiome. Amazing studies coming out recently show that one course of antibiotic for an upper respiratory infection or um, something like a um, urinary tract infection, you, you grab that um, antibiotic for your doc, your chance of a major depressive episode goes up by 24% in the next 12 months, and the chance of a generalized anxiety disorder developing goes up by 17%. One, have, one round, one round. One antibiotics. Yeah. If you now go back to your doctor within that 12-month period and get a second round of antibiotics, you had your UTI treated six months ago, and now you go in for your bronchitis or sinusitis, that second course of antibiotics now raises your risk of major depression by 54% and your risk of anxiety disorder by 44%. And so we are having massive decimating effects on mood disorder through our antibiotic prescription behavior as physicians. Because all of these is the same process, it's ultimately dysregulation of communication and chronic inflammation, cancer has the same pattern. And so if you look at the maps that I show in all my lectures, I've, I've, I've put side by side the CDC maps of cancer death with the New England Journal of Medicine articles that are showing that antibiotic prescription behavior per state. And you can see a perfect state-by-state -state correlation with the more antibiotics prescribed per population, the more cancer death we have. And so in those two 
demonstrations I've been able to show at the population level, antibiotic usage from your, from your physician at pharmacy drives mood disorder and cancer death. Crazy. Collapse of the microbiome equals human disease. Now let's back up and ask how much antibiotic is being prescribed by our physicians. We are somewhere around in the United States, a disgusting 7 million pounds of antibiotic per year prescribed. Crazy. Not prescriptions, but pounds. What that equals out to is 833 prescriptions of antibiotics for every 1,000 men, women, and ch children. And so we're somewhere around 83% by the numbers of the population. And there's probably some redundancy. It might be more closer to 40% of the population where a lot of the population is getting two courses of antibiotics in a year. But suffice it to say, 833 prescriptions for every 1,000 man, woman, child, that's a lot of antibiotic. That's a lot. The 7 million pounds. But in the United States, we use around 300 million pounds of, of Roundup. And so you, we are many logarithms greater in our antibiotic exposure through our farming industry and agriculture and our landscaping and, and streets, uh, you know, parks and rec services and the rest, than we are at risk from our doctors. And so the real collapse of health is happening from Roundup spraying. We've proved this by looking at the, the concentrations of Roundup spraying and the water systems in which that Roundup ends up. The largest of these is the Mississippi River. The, the tributaries of the Mississippi River cover about 80% of the country. And, or I'm sorry, 80% of the Roundup spraying in the country, a footprint of maybe 60% of the country. And so with 80% of the Roundup that we spray in the whole country being absorbed into a single water system, it's going to be concentrated ultimately in the last 90 miles of the Mississippi River, which runs from Baton Rouge to New Orleans, Louisiana. And that happens to be called Cancer Alley. That's the highest rates of cancer in the entire developed world by an extreme amount. Interestingly, that deep south was never the epicenter of cancer death in our country up until 2007 hit. And so uh, 1997 and before, our cancer death maps were northeast and northwest. And then suddenly in the 13 years between 1997 and 2004, we caused this decimating injury to the microbiome through the Midwest and concentrated the chemical that would wipe out the microbiome of the deep south and we would create the highest rates of cancer in the world and of course, mood disorder is right there. Crazy. Interestingly, this is work now by um, uh, Norm Sheely, who has run the largest pain clinic in the United States for over 30 years up in Wisconsin area. And his pain clinic realized early on in the late 70s and early 80s that an enormous amount of the patients that were presenting with pain had predisposing mood disorder. And so he ultimately became the biggest center for integrative medicine approaches to treating mood disorder because he figured out that mood disorder happens shortly before chronic pain syndromes emerge. So major depression in the recurrent state will then turn into a chronic pain syndrome if not tr treated at its core. And so we can say in the population, if you have major depression, anxiety disorders, and everything else, and that becomes a recurrent theme where you're now at your second or third bout of major depression, the chance of you developing fibromyalgia, regional pain syndromes, uh, like reflex sympathetic dystrophy or chronic uh, regional pain syndrome disorders, those guys are, are all could have been captured earlier and prevented if we had recognized the relationship between the collapse of the microbiome, the emergence of mood disorder, and their march towards that chronic pain syndrome, and ultimately to the cancer that would follow. Yeah. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. 
So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. And I have to tell you, Dr. Zach, the first time I heard you speak, I actually cried. I just, I just had wept because everything you say makes perfect and logical sense. And yet we're all living in this world together. So how do we, how do we emerge from that? And what do, you know, I, the connection is so clear and how do we overcome this? Yeah. I'm you know, for full transparency, cause there, I, there, whenever you hear my talk or anybody hears my talk, there's a major risk that you're going to think I'm intelligent. I want you to know that I asked back my way into all of this information. <laughs> yeah. It was a total mistake that I got to the place that I am today. Um, I, 10 years ago, I was developing chemotherapy at the University of Virginia. So I went from extreme pharmaceutical mindedness to now where I am today and my current mindset around nature is our healer and it's our disconnect from her that's causing this chronic disease epidemic. Um, but to kind of catch you up on how I got to the realization of the Roundup through some brilliant people I work with, Dr. Dr. John Gilday, number one among them. Um, but uh, he was the one to really figure out this Roundup link to uh, the soil. And, and what we were seeing at the molecular level in human cells. But what I had brought to Dr. Gilday was actually the solution to this injury. And I didn't know about this injury. I didn't know it was going to be a solution to it. I was still in my cancer mindset. But I had found some molecules in soil, uh, namely in actually ancient fossil soil, that were doing some pretty phenomenal things in my clinic. And they were very similar to the molecules I had used in the chemotherapy world, but there was no toxicity to them. And so I had him start studying them under the microscope and we proved out extraordinary safety levels, of these molecules. And then in the end, when, when I started putting these into my cancer patients to improve their nutritional uh, recovery after, after chemo and everything they've been through, we started to see things that I didn't expect. I had seen th expected to see things in the cancer world. I had no idea what I was going to see uh, shifts in autoimmune conditions, chronic inflammatory states, you know, 40-year decades worth of you know, GI distress and problems were reversing. And so all of this stuff was, was going into some sort of repair process that I didn't understand at all. And so it was bringing all that back to Dr. Gilday's attention. And in his PhD mindset, he you know, quickly started putting the pieces together to say, what could we be doing at the population level that could be reversing so many you know, chronic disease uh, situations? And so he was the one that tied this all back to the leaky gut phenomenon. And leaky gut is actually uh, at its core what happens when you ingest Roundup. And so it has the antimicrobial properties. It kills bacteria, fungi, both in the soil and your gut to leave you depleted of your, your microbial workforce. But then it does further direct damage to the human biology by destroying the Velcro or the tight junctions that bond all those billions of cells into that two tennis courts of surface area. And so as that, that cellophane turns into a sieve, you start absorbing everything from your environment inappropriately. And what it results is a massive amount of inflammatory response. Now you're reacting to the pollen you breathe, to the uh, dust you breathe, to the water you drink, to the dairy you consume, to the food you eat, to the kale that you eat. All these foods start becoming inflammatory to your body and you start to develop severe irritable bowel syndrome, uh, esophageal reflux, ulcerations, chronic inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, autoimmune conditions, thyroid, rheumatoid arthritis, just, you know, now the, now just all starts spooling out from an overly inflamed, overly activated gut that's no longer protected from the outside world. So as we look at these three pieces, so you've got the collapse of the microbiome, the sudden leak and, and loss of barrier to the outside world as your, your tight junctions fall apart, and then your immune system overwhelm happens. That's the three pieces that are fundamentally at ground zero. If we then watch the trickle-down effects back to mood disorder, it turns out that the blood-brain barrier and the kidney tubules and the whole vascular tree are tied together by the same tight junctions. And so it turns out that as glyphosate hits your gut, 
and creates leaky gut, within minutes, you have leaky brain and leaky kidneys. I haven't heard leaky kidney. I've never heard that, but it makes perfect sense. It's, it's all the same protein structure and all vulnerable to that Roundup injury. And so we've been working to show that the, the microbial intelligence that we're pulling out of the soil can actually reverse all of that. And so, first of all, we create a boom in the microbiome when we put these, these carbon uh, resources back into a biologic system so we can diversify rather than simplify that, which the probiotic industry does. Probiotics create a monoculture in your gut. You don't want three species of bacteria. You want 30,000 species of bacteria. And so we don't have a probiotic that actually works to diversify your flora. At best, there's, there's little tiny band-aids that you can throw on momentarily. You stay on a probiotic. It's actually been recently shown and published in Cell that it actually narrows the microbiome just as badly as the antibiotics do. So wow. probiotic industry needs to disappear as soon as possible. In contrast to that, if we give no microbial micromanagement, instead just give back the communication network that coordinates behavior between the species, then we get balance and diversification happening. And so again, this is soil intelligence coming back into play in biology. When we add that to human cells, they immediately start making protein, enzyme that are responsible for detox, doing uh, genomic repair. It's just an incredible event. And interestingly, these molecules don't do anything on their own. The supplements that we now derive from them are the only supplements in the market that try to do absolutely nothing. They are trying to be completely passive players in biology to give back the wireless network that you would uh, correlate very much so with your cell phones. Your cell in their body is very much like a cell phone. It has all of the machinery inside of it to transmit and receive information from the greater organism. But if you lose the wireless communication network from the microbiome that we now know is, is transmitting information between cells, you, you now become an isolated cell phone. With seven miles away from the closest cell phone tower, you suddenly can't connect and the whole cell starts to stagnate. Your software can't update. You can't communicate with any other humans on the planet. You start to become an isolated and lonely entity. What you have just become at the biomedical standpoint is a cancer cell. A cancer cell only becomes cancer when it becomes totally isolated from its environment. And so first to do that, you have to cut all the tight junctions, which is what Roundup does. The World Health Organization is now finally identified as a probable carcinogen. You need to delete the word probable out of there. It is a carcinogen. Uh, but we have a carcinogen that's creating lo uh, lonely cells and simultaneously killing the microbiome that would produce the communication network or the wireless communication that would help one cell speak to the other. And so in, in really one chemical, we've got the perfect isolating uh, chemical that we've created. And hasn't that been what we've seen at the macro level? Humans, 7 billion on the planet, never more of us here, are more isolated than we've ever been, despite the internet, Facebook, Twitter, all these connective devices. I would argue we've never seen a, a higher level of loneliness, isolation, suicide, et cetera, in, in our civilization. And so really fascinating that at the microbial level and at the human cell level, we get isolation and loneliness. And the result is immediately at the macro level, isolation, loneliness, egocentrism. We forget we're part of a larger human organism called Homo sapien. We, we lose the identity of species. We choose nationalistic uh, paranoia over globalist thinking and all of the rest. And so we really see this outpouring of anger, hatred, fear mongering, everything else in our politics, paralleling the mood disorders that we see in the individual patient paralleling the biology of collapse of information stream at the cellular level. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense because we're physiologically disconnected and within ourselves, that would totally make sense that that would play out in our outer world. So so how do we how do we fix this? Like I think any solution always starts with awareness and then we got to wake people up and now what do we do? Fantastic. Yeah. So so certainly on the biotech side companies are doing very well. We've developed the human line of supplements. Uh, Restore is the name of the supplement that you mentioned. Um, but we've also developed um, it, uh, incredible supplements for the feed, the food industry. And so uh, we go in our initial sales to the, the large ag system in June uh, at the Global Vet Health uh, Group. We've spent the last four years getting approved as a low-risk drug in Canada. Um, it turns out you have to be regulated as a drug to go into the human food chain. And so we've do, gone through all the science rigor and everything else necessary to get there. 
And so we get our NN number at the end of this month, and we will be uh, getting this product into your food chain, which is going to immediately reduce the stress of those animals uh, in the feedlots, et cetera. And I hope it's a stepping stone to real humanitarian management of our protein production systems of the poultry, swine, and the and the beef industries that are just horrifically, um, catastrophically, painfully uh, mean to these animals. So uh we've we've got to you know get a higher ethic in this industry and we hope that this is the science and the industry of communication at the cell level is our slippery slope into a higher ethos of animal care uh as we go and so these products are, are going to hit the market and the, the human ones already gone global we're in over 120 countries in the united states we're sold in over 900 uh physician offices as kind of frontline management for for health and uh, disease prevention and that, and just so, just so everybody knows, that's your, your referencing restore is what you're referencing. Yeah. yeah. And I, I cannot say enough about the, what a game changer restore is for a functional medicine doctor like me. Like I, it is a game changer. And people ask me all the time, like, how long should you be on? You know, how long do I need to be on it? Some people say, I don't really notice anything on it. And I just say, keep taking it, keep taking it. Yeah. yeah those are a couple of great points. Number one, you know, uh, how long do I take it um, until we change the industry? And so until we stop spraying these chemicals in under our environment, we're going to be uh, reliant on these on these compounds from the soil. I think it's pretty fascinating that the only place that we find these carbon molecules in sufficient diversity is in soil that's about 60 million years old or older. That's pretty fascinating because what we've shown is that it functions as the antidote, if you will, uh, to Roundup. Because if you put it on a, a cell membrane that's been damaged by Roundup, within six minutes, you see regeneration of the proteins that have been damaged. And you see it, you know, that leaky sieve start to zipper back together in just minutes. And then within six to eight hours, you have an, you've surpassed the original integrity of that membrane. Within six days, we're measuring levels of resistance across those membranes that have never been recognized as possible. We're the first laboratory in the world to be able to, to create high transepithelial resistance in kidney tubules. And so from gut all the way to kidneys, and we've proved it on blood-brain barrier as well. So gut, blood-brain barrier, and kidney tubules all come back online, creating these resistant barrier systems of intelligent barriers uh, by reconnection to this wireless network. And let me remind you that Restore does nothing. It doesn't actually prevent disease. It doesn't treat disease. It doesn't do anything intentionally. It's actually inspiring. And this is the thing that gives me goosebumps more than anything else. All it's doing is reconnecting you and all of your 70 trillion cells to your intrinsic capacity to heal. You have all the intelligence and all the machinery to heal yourself from anything. It doesn't matter if it's cancer, heart disease, mood disorder, you name it. You have all the machinery to repair that into infinitum. The only time we see disease emerge is when there's a failure of communication. And I believe that's true in our politics as well. The only time we see war is when we have a complete collapse of communication between humans. And so we need to learn from this and start to integrate information technology at the macro level of connecting humans. And our company is working on that very actively to reinvent the internet, take it away from the big advertisers, take big data manipulation and commoditization back into our own hands and say, we the people own the data, we the people control our space, and we're going to connect humans just as we would connect cells together with Restore, and we're going to restore civilization, not just human health. And so that's my big dream. That's my big passion right now where I put a lot of my focus. But second part of your question there around, or second answer to your first part of the question there around how long do we take this is, I would like to invite all of you to as fast as possible put my biotech companies out of business. I do not, it is boring for me, frankly, to go and take fossil soil and turn it into the freaking supplements and get that into your hands in a bottle that you go and drink. What inspires the hell out of me is imagining that your grandchildren and my grandchildren will instead go into an environment where the first thing that they are taught as they enter preschool is how to grow a plant. The second thing they're taught is how to get lots of plants growing in communication. And then by the time they're in high school, they're studying microbial quorum sensing and the intelligence of complex micro ecosystems and how they create intelligence in human beings to create a higher level of consciousness and behavior in in their generation. That's my dream. And so help me get there. We actually need to change first the farming industry. We can't have 46% of our children with a chronic disease. And unfortunately, 
one in 30 children with autism. Our rate of autism is climbing so fast now that we're going to hit one in three children with autism in the United States by 2035, 16 years from now, one in three children with autism spectrum disorder. That population will not be able to be the, the creative, co productive group that we need them to be. But when we support the health of those autistic children, we find them to be the biggest outside the box thinkers that have ever existed. I do believe there's a silver lining on this autism sy syndrome and that they will be the angels among us. If we create the, the space for them and we put resources around them, give them health back, their autistically wired minds will come up with solutions we've never dreamed of when we're wired like we are. And so put my biotech companies out of business as soon as possible by healing the soil so their children will heal and they can fix the bigger problems that will come down the pike at now. And so how do we do that? Yes, In exactly. February, we, we launched Farmer's Footprint, which is a nonprofit. Uh, we have launched a, a multinational approach to uh, educating farmers who are currently stuck. And frankly, they are trapped against their will in a in an economy that forces them to grow genetically modified crops. We're teaching those chemical GMO farmers how to make the transition independently to uh, their own economy and, and become independent again in food production. And to do that, we need your help. And so Farmer's Footprint has become this extraordinary avenue through which consumers can suddenly be plugged back in directly to our food producers. These farmers are the most inspirational problem solvers you will ever meet. They do not want to be growing chemically filled foods for you. They want to grow real food. They want to actually heal their family soil because they know that that's all they have to pass on to their future generations. 8,000 farms a year are going out of business in the United States. 8,000 farms of you know average sizes between 300 and 3,000 acres. And so we're losing millions and millions of acres of farmland every year now. And unfortunately, from a, a homeland security standpoint, we aren't even selling that to Americans. Most of that is being bought up by international conglomerates, Russia, China, and other countries owning our most prime farmland because we can't keep our farmers in business. The whole lie that's coming out of the, the chemical farming industry is saying that we have to feed 7 billion people, therefore we need GMO. Right. GMO crops don't even feed humans. All of our crops, look at, at Kansas as our biggest corn producer in the country. 90% of the land by square miles in Kansas grows GMO crops. 90% of the food that's consumed in, in Kansas is imported into the state. They don't even grow their own food. The extraordinary thing is one in four children in Kansas goes to sleep hungry. We literally have starvation going on in the most agriculturally active environments of our nation. Not only are we not feeding the world with those GMO crops, we aren't even feeding our own. It is an absolute humanitarian crisis going on on the ground right there. And we are finding that by just getting consumers to support through very mild amounts, we're looking at $100 per acre. $100 to sponsor a, an acre of dead, chemically abused land within one season, within one 12-month period, we can get that land back to where it was before the 1980s. And so we can regenerate 30 to 40 years of ecosystem and everything else in a single uh, full cycle of cover cropping and animal husbandry on that land. And so an incredible opportunity for us to co-create with Mother Earth to reverse the toxicity create truly regenerative land, which, by the way, is capable of, within the next 10 years, reversing our entire CO2 footprint that's contributing to the global warming. Wow. wow. And so we can solve global warming, starvation, food industry, the medical system at large, through one practice, which is regenerative farming, much different than organic farming by then, by the way. Most of the organic farms in this country have worse soil than the chemical farms. We are abusing the soil in our organic practices just as badly as we are in the chemical industry. And so our education system, and we have partners that have been doing this for decades, they're extraordinary experts in the industry. We're just now scaling them by putting consumers back in, in direct support to these farmers and, and educational systems. Our goal is to regenerate 5 million acres over the next six years. We need your help. You can actually produce 400 to $500, 10x the economic return on that acreage by going regenerative. And you create economic resilience because instead of one or two economic streams coming out of selling your soybean or corn, 
you actually have six to eight revenue streams coming off that land that are actually year round. And so you eliminate the needs for this huge risk of the farmer to take these huge bank loans to get them through the year to pay off suddenly when their harvest comes in. If their harvest fails, hail, et cetera, they fail completely. That's when the U.S. government steps in with the farm bill, which then pays out through what's called the, the um, uh, crop insurance, which is not an insurance program at all. It's a welfare system for failing farms. Hmm. It turns out that the welfare system won't pay you out unless you're growing the farm bill supported agricultural items of alfalfa, corn, soybean, all these genetically modified crops. Because the banks are not protected without the, the crop insurance, they won't lend the farmers money to do regenerative agriculture. And so they have to grow corn and soybean to be able to, to borrow the money to grow craft money that poison the earth and don't ever end up on a dinner plate. Most of those mice, where is all that corn and soybean going? I forgot to tell you that. It's not going to dinner plates. Most of it's actually going to the fuel industry. It's going into ethanol and as fuel additives, it's going into plastics production. It's going into your clothing in the form of polyesters and all of the apparel industry. We don't even grow food. We grow plastics. That's where all that corn and soybean is ending up. A small percentage of that ends up as crappy feed for our dogs, cats, and our, our, our animals at large. But there's so much chemical residue in those corn and soybeans at the time of harvest that it's very dangerous to put that into the food system of humans. And so uh, we, we keep it kind of sequestered away. Chronic kidney disease is now the leading cause of cats that's developed over the last 15 years as we've contaminated their food supply. The, I, I'm sorry. My daughter's like a super passionate dog person. Current numbers of cancer in dogs right now is that for every 1.64 dogs, less than one in two, there is a case of cancer now. And so we're, we're nearly at 100% of dogs now with cancer because of what we've done to their food. And so it's, you can't measure the humanitarian crisis on the human level. But then when you start to expand it out to what's happening to chickens and the horror that they go through in that short lifespan that they have, the horror of being a pig in a swine factory, uh, or the horror of being a loved animal that's fed poison every day unintentionally by their owner. It's just on every level wrong. And so my outcry to you is just help the farmer. The, the farmers are so good. They, I'm sorry, this doesn't usually happen to me. No, no, so appreciate your passion. The, the farmers, when they hear these lectures, it's so emotional for them. Can you imagine realizing that you're poisoning the world? Like it, it's, it's too much information to handle. It's too intense without the promise that we're all in this together and the recognition that we as consumers created this chemical industry. We outsourced our food production. In 1945, at the end of World War II, we were producing 40% of our food chain in our backyard gardens called Victory Garden Movement. Now we are growing less than one-tenth of one percent of our food. We have become so lazy, so disconnected from food production. And so in addition to helping the farmers and supporting them, with not, your, not your, just your money, they're actually not interested in handouts. These, it's the opposite. They, they want to partner with the world. And so the hedge funds and all these other investment funds are working with us now to create investment strategies where you as consumers will ultimately be able to invest in your farmers rather than just give to them. And so we're going to go through a period of a pure nonprofit where you're, you're directly pouring your love into these farmers and, and supporting them. But know that our, our, our organization is quickly working to create private sector solutions, investor-based solutions that will empower you to become partners to these farmers, which is really what they want. They don't, they don't want to hand out. They want good business and they want to be part of good business. And they will solve our biggest problems. I guarantee you the physicians and the scientists that are studying bi molecular biology will not solve our health crises. They cannot because they are not at the root cause of the problem. Your farmers will solve the problem of global warming, of the collapse of the ecosystems on the planet at large. Keep in mind that we are currently losing one species to extinction every 20 minutes. The rate at which we are collapsing biology on Earth has never been witnessed, at least not under human hands. 
There has been five other great extinctions on the planet. Only one of them hit 97% of a collapse of biology on the earth. And we're on track to be another one of those nice 7% death events. Extraordinarily, if you look at the biological collapse of human function, even just at sperm levels in, in Western countries, our sperm levels have dropped between 52 and 58% in just 20 years. As we continue down this trajectory, we currently have about one in three males that are at risk of being infertile by low sperm counts. And as we go down another 20 years, we'll have some 60 to 70%. Another 40 years, we hit some 85 to 90% of males infertile. You extract that out to 70 years from now, and we hit human extinction. Through the pressures of chronic disease and the burdens rising therein, coupled with our infertility rates, we will be extinct in 70 years. Frankly, for my heartbreak over the animals and for planet Earth itself, I can't wait for us to disappear unless we're willing to transform. I do not want Restore or any other substance to improve human health unless you are willing to transform. If you're going to continue in your current consumer behavior and accelerate the death of the planet, I don't want you to have Restore. I want Restore to be a, a pivot point for you. I want it to be a realization moment that you are the natives of change on this planet. And as a consumer, you drive the boat. To the farmers, you drive the boat. You drive the boat on all massive companies. Two weekends ago, I was in celebration mood, mode with my company because after pounding this drum for years, we see 55% of the stockholders in Bayer revolt and, and give a vote of non-confidence to their CEO for having bought Monsanto and do what they're doing. And so we are shifting massive mega billion dollar corporations through consumer awareness. And so if you're going to take Restore, do me a favor and don't be part of the problem. Become part of the solution for humanity, which is going to be rising consciousness to realize that you need to make sure that everything you do in a day, you take Mother Earth into consideration. You wonder about your footprint and your positive, co-creative, regenerative capacity to work with her to make more life, not less on Earth. Amazing. Amazing. I'm, I'm speechless. Uh, let's, let's leave with this. So if you're touched by this interview, please do one of two things, share it out and donate and it, it, give us some action steps. Is it farmer's footprint? They go and donate and get involved in financially. Is there other ways to get involved other than financial? Absolutely. Farmersfootprint.us is the, the nonprofit. Uh, website and um, coming within the next eight weeks. Um, so, you know, continue to fuel our efforts. We're, we're still, we only have one paid employee. So all the money's pouring right into to all of this effort to get uh, coordination on all these levels. But we have a, a town hall um, local activism packet coming out that's going to equip you as a consumer with the PowerPoints, the, 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 the uh, print material you need, the, the docu-series. We have the first 22-minute documentary film available to you. And so you can create a town hall event in your uh, school, your community, your church, and and uh, take these resources. Amazingly, Kim from, from Irvine, California, and her little nonprofit has made available her entire notebook on how to get Roundup banned from your, your entire county. And so all the steps you need to take and the science you need to give, and importantly, the alternatives to Roundup that your park systems and municipality uh, uh, regulatory groups need to use instead of the Roundup. And so it's a solution-based packet that gives you all the steps to get Roundup banned from your county. It worked in Irvine, California, and it just worked in the entire county of Miami, the largest county so far to ban Roundup as an entire county. So become part of that revolution. If we can get you know 15% of counties in the United States to ban this chemical, we will collapse the whole industry of, of this chemical uh, demand. So let's make you guys natives of change. Your support's vital to our growth, but you ultimately are the real solution uh, kind of force out there for the revolution to really happen. Yeah. And we can find all that on Farmer's Footprint. That's where everybody goes. So, uh, you know, from the bottom of my heart, like I just am so grateful for you. I'm just grateful for what you're doing and how you show up in the world. And um, we will definitely, the Resetter Tribe is a, is a mighty force and we will get this out to the world for you. So thank you for being here and thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you all. You give me hope. Uh, it, it's the movement of the forces, it's the movement of the troops that gives me a sense of there is still hope for our humanity to, to reintegrate into nature in a co-creative process until it regenerates. So 
thank you for your your passion and your attention uh, tuning into this. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to know about it. So please leave us a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what your biggest takeaway is.